From VOA Learning English, this is the Technology Report. Broadband internet service can be costly. Some countries do not have high-speed internet because of the cost involved. But Microsoft Corporation and other companies have found a way to bring low-cost, high-speed internet service to Ghana. They are turning to some very high and ultra-high frequency bands to do so. The frequencies have yet to be used and are sometimes called white spaces. Sean Seeley is Chief Executive Officer of Spectralink Wireless. His company and Microsoft are partners. He says their program provides students in rural Ghana with internet service up to five kilometers away from the university. The program combines Wi-Fi wireless technology with Whitespace to provide internet access to Ghana. Recently, the program became the first of its kind to do this. Sean Seeley says television white spaces can be thought of as super Wi-Fi. They can reach further than normal Wi-Fi and are less costly. Frank McCosker directs the program for Microsoft. He says the program is part of the company's $75 million For Africa initiative. Mr. McCosker says the program is investing in new businesses and new technologies. They also include training and partnerships with businesses in a number of other countries, including Tanzania, South Africa, Kenya, and Namibia. He says the program works to find new ways to make internet service more affordable. Mr. Seeley says he expects internet service costs to drop in the area as white space connectivity becomes more available. Spectralink Wireless now plans to take white space internet access to Nigeria, Ivory Coast, and Cameroon. For VOA Learning English, I'm Jonathan Evans.
From VOA Learning English, this is the Science Report. Most Africans still buy their food at busy, poorly organized open-air food markets. Many Westerners would be uneasy eating food from these markets. But a new study shows that the milk and meat from outdoor markets is often fresher and safer than those foods sold in Africa's Western-style supermarkets. The International Livestock Research Institute in Nairobi carried out the study. It examined food for sale in eight countries. The results of the study may support business for Africa's small food producers. These producers have long been the main source of food for many Africans, including the poor, those in rural areas, and for those who do not have transportation. The Institute estimates that small outdoor markets still supply as much as 95% of all food eaten in sub-Saharan Africa. And it estimates that Africans will continue to buy most of their food at these markets for many years to come, although supermarkets continue to spread. The Institute's report estimates that by 2040, traditional markets will still supply up to 70% of the food Africans eat. In South Africa, supermarkets say they closely supervise food safety. The ShopRite Group is the largest supermarket company in South Africa. It told VOA that ShopRite's safety rules are even stronger than those required by the government. But even large supermarket companies do not have perfect safety records. Last year, South African food company Tiger Brands stopped selling several rice products because they contained small amounts of dangerous chemicals. For VOA Learning English, I'm Jonathan Evans.
From VOA Learning English, this is the Health Report. Frances Jensen is a neuroscientist. She has been studying the human brain for most of her career. But even she was not ready for the job of raising two teenage boys. So, Dr. Jensen decided to study the research on the human brain to get some answers. What she found might clear up some myths or misinformation about teenagers. The first myth is that a teenager's body and mind grow at the same rate. When children reach puberty, that is when they start to become young adults, their bodies change. Teenagers may look like adults, but their brains take longer to mature. Dr. Jensen explains that the teen brain has a different structure and chemistry from an adult brain. The second myth is that teenage brains are resilient. At times, Dr. Jensen says, the teenage brain is resilient. It can recover from a bad experience. But sometimes things like stress and drug and alcohol use can give teens long-term problems. She says drugs and alcohol can especially affect a teenager's intelligence quotient, or IQ. A third myth is that teenagers are lazy. Parents might not like it when teenagers go to sleep late and wake up late in the morning. But Dr. Jensen says a teen's biological clock is set differently than an adult's. A biological clock controls the body's waking and sleeping processes. She explains that the brain releases a hormone to make you sleepy. An adult releases that sleep-causing hormone around 8.30 at night. But a teenager's brain does not release that chemical until about 11 at night. This leads to a later bedtime, even when the teen has to wake up early the next morning. For VOA Learning English, I'm Jonathan Evans.
From VOA Learning English, this is the Education Report. Students in American schools learn from an early age to give presentations as part of their regular classroom activities. Children as young as five years old often give brief talks about objects they bring into school, called show and tell. This training is a basis for later public speaking. Even so, many native English-speaking adults are afraid to speak or give presentations in front of a large group. Speaking English in public meetings is necessary for many students and employees. The best way to improve is to practice public speaking in a friendly environment. Learners need to receive feedback about what they are doing well and about their mistakes. One group that gives members the chance to practice is the international organization Toastmasters. At weekly meetings, members each give a speech and give others advice about their speeches and speaking style. Charles Lebeau is a public speaking professor and consultant. He has written the book, Speaking of Speech, which is used by English language learners around the world. Mr. Lebeau says, a presentation can be broken down into three messages. First, there is the physical message, one that uses body language. A presentation also has a second message, a visual message. It is made up of visual aids and other information shown to the people listening. The third message is the story message. This is the content of the message and how it is organized and presented. Charles Lebeau says, Public speaking skills are the easiest for English learners to improve quickly. For VOA Learning English, I'm Jonathan Evans.
From VOA Learning English, this is the Economics Report. West Coast ports in the United States are busy again. Recently, negotiators reached a version of a settlement in a nine-month labor dispute and work slowdown. Now that goods again are being unloaded, the dock workers and employers say they can talk about long-term problems. Many ships have been docked or have been waiting offshore at 29 West Coast ports. Thousands of containers on those ships are waiting to be unloaded and transported across the U.S. Port officials say it will take months to process all the cargo or goods. Most dock workers returned to work while negotiations for the five-year contract continued. Craig Merrilees is with the International Longshore and Warehouse Union. He said some of the hard issues included outsourcing good jobs or moving them elsewhere. Workers say administrative jobs at the ports have been moving to other states and other countries. Workers also say they worry about increasing automation of port operations, which reduces the need for people. Many businesses depend on goods passing through the ports, including beer makers that use imported hops, produce coming to the U.S., and farmers with crops to ship overseas. The labor dispute began in July, when a labor agreement ended. The work stoppage has affected 29 West Coast ports for months and slowed U.S. trade with Asia. Those ports process more than 25% of all U.S. sea trade and more than 70% of the nation's imports from Asia. For VOA Learning English, I'm Jonathan Evans. a lot like a garbage can, but it's actually a fully functioning laboratory thrown overboard to analyze water samples in the open ocean. One day a machine like it might tell us whether a beach is safe for swimming or if water is clean enough to drink. The so-called lab in a can is nicknamed ESP. The ESP is the environmental sample processor and it's an instrument that collects water, allows you to extract particles from that, and uh, use molecular probe technology to understand the presence of certain organisms and their activities. With support from the National Science Foundation, microbiologist Chris Sholin and his team at the Monterey Bay Aquarium Research Institute created the portable ESP to work on its own so they don't have to travel back to the lab every time they want to analyze samples they collect at sea. 
We have intake valves and we draw in seawater with a syringe. We create a vacuum and, and basically pull the seawater through a, a filter that collects a particular size of particles. Using onboard robotics, ESP can do tests ranging from detecting microbes and toxins to basic DNA analysis. Each one of these lines represents a different organism. The ESP has enough battery power to last roughly 30 to 45 days. The goal is to have something that can go out for six months. Researchers say an ESP network might one day crisscross our oceans, monitoring for problems like oil spills, or on farms to detect microorganisms like salmonella in the water used to hose down crops before they're shipped to market. Wouldn't it be great if we could detect out in the field before it gets into the packaging?